sing my knapsack on my Creek. Today is Wanderings with Seal Stemmen, Sandy Washington, and we are very privileged to have with us our very own nurse, Heidi Schwant. And um, we have the privilege of listening to you today, um, Heidi. And it's a, uh, going to be a revolution, a revelation for some people. It was for us to find out all that you do. You do so much. We see you with a purpose in the halls, always having <laughs> a purpose going someplace. You have a big title, uh, but you're known to all of us just as Heidi. What is your official title, Heidi? And welcome to us today. So yes, thank you and welcome everybody. Thank you for having me on. So my official title is Resident Services Director here at Holly Creek. Um, so what does that mean? Um, I'd like to think of myself as a case manager for all the residents here at Holly Creek. So anything health-wise, um, you can come to me. I organize uh, flu and COVID and are now the RSV clinic. So anything medical is what I do here at Holly Creek. So what does that also look like? I am also um, referred to as the medical concierge manager. So I oversee the Redwood Clinic, and I also oversee our special group um, of residents living with dementia. Uh, so I oversee Kathy Racine and the Connections Committee group um, here at Holly Creek. So that's kind of what all-encompassing of what I do here. So those are some of the places you're off to when we see you out in the corridors. Correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about the transitioning of the different stages from independent living to assisted living? Sure. My pleasure. So um, as you know, I meet with everybody before they move into Holly Creek. So uh, being a life plan community, you start out in independent living. As you age in place here in independent living, the higher levels of care, of course, are assisted living, which encompasses Alpine and Meadows, which is our memory support neighborhood. And then we have a neighborhood skilled nursing and rehab, which is referred to as our Timbers neighborhood. And then, of course, our special group, which is encompasses Connections Committee. So what does that look like um, when you're in independent living um, and you are um, aging in place and you are needing a little bit more help, whether it's a cognitive um, impairment or whether it's a physical, you're just needing more help. So where, where do we look for that information? Number one, families. Families will come and talk to me and say, you know, mom or dad or both, um, they're experiencing um, some difficulty with dressing. They're having a hard time with meals. Uh, so um, they say, let's put mom and dad 
on the wait list for assisted living. Mm. So I maintain that wait list, and when we have an opening in assisted living, mm. I reach out, starting with number one on my list, and just go down um, and see if the transition is the right time. Uh, some people have extra help in their apartment, and that is perfectly okay, whether it's Rhythms or another home care company, uh, to um, help and maintain your independence. But when the time comes, then um, you would transition to a higher level of care, usually starting out in assisted living first. So what does that look like uh, for Timbers, which is our long-term care neighborhood? So that would be if um, you have a fall and you end up in the hospital having surgery, you go to Timbers for rehab, and then you just aren't strong enough, aren't able to maintain your residency in independent living. So then you would stay in Timbers, long-term care, and then you would, you would give up your apartment in independent living, and then you would make that transition to um, long-term care to get nursing care around the clock. So what does it look like when um, you're just having some cognitive issues? That's where our Connections Committee group comes in and we have eight members now that um, spend Monday through Friday, 9.30 till about 1 o'clock with Kathy Racine and just being engaged in the community, being engaged outside the community, doing outings, going out to lunch. Today, the Connections Committee group is going to the Lone Tree Art Center to look at the art, and then they'll go out to lunch, and then they will return back to Holly Creek. So many, many residents have maintained their independent apartment with the help of Connections Committee support for years, years. And then what does that look like um, if they're not uh, getting uh, what they should out of Connections Committee, if they're not engaging anymore? So then we would look at usually memory support um, so Connections Committee uh, does have a charge, of course, but when you look at what it costs for Connections Committee and what it costs for a higher level of care, it's much more cost effective to join Connections Committee for years and then make that transition to a higher level of care later. And then tell us a little bit about the cognitive testing that we all have. Sure. Um, once a year with Sharon, mm -hmm. a weekend nurse. Sure. So um, as you all know, we do an annual review on every resident living at Holly Creek. And we do a cognitive exam, and it has an awful name. It's called the SLUMS exam. SLUM stands for St. Louis University Mental Status. So we do that on an annual basis. Number one, just to, to keep a pulse on uh, cognition of residents. And in also in a clinic setting, we need to have that baseline because if you fall and hit your head, it's, well, what... Um, 
what happened? You know, we look at the result of that slums, and all of a sudden, after a head injury, it's something's going on. So that's when the medical treatment um, and notification of families would come in to say, something's going on. So it's a great tool. Um, you know, I know people dread it. Uh, they try <laughs> to memorize those five words. Not true. Uh, you know, appreciate it. Really, really <laughs> valuable. Yeah, tool. We do dread it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it is a very, very valuable tool. There's yeah. another tool being used that I had not heard about. Stop and watch. Yes. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. So. Um, Stop and Watch is we meet every Thursday at 2 p.m. And uh, people that are included in that are uh, myself, uh, housekeeping, concierge, Nora, uh, the billing office, uh, uh, Michelle, uh, when she's available, she joins. So what we do is we uh, talk about 25% of the residents every week. So we rotate floors because things that I'm not seeing, housekeeping might be seeing a concern or an issue that we need to follow up with uh, a resident that we're not aware. So it's just a team effort just to keep a pulse on what's happening with our residents. And how do you do that in the cottages who are separate from the main building? Yeah, so the cottagers are a little bit harder to keep a pulse on because a lot of the cottagers don't come into the building a whole lot. Some of them do. We see them all the time. But that's when our housekeepers come in as a set of eyes on what's going on in the cottages. Or families of the cottagers might call me and say, hey, my mom never comes into the cottage, but this is what I'm seeing. Um, so it's just a real good communication tool. Good. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now we're going to be having the RSV shots fairly soon. Yes. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for the convenience that you provide for residents here that <laughs> they bring the shots to us. We are not going to be responsible to getting someplace. Sure. But tell us a little bit more about RSV. Sure. So as you probably all realize, um, RSV, which is respiratory syncytial virus, it's kind of a tricky name, but usually it's a virus we see in children. Uh, so in 2021, we saw it kind of rear its ugly head in adults. So why is that? When you think of the pandemic, uh -huh. when you think of COVID, everybody was mostly indoors, we wore masks, we had a real strict um, protocol here at Holly Creek especially, and you know, vaccines, people couldn't come in. The vaccines that we all had. Right, exactly. So in 2021, everybody was kind of hunkered down. And then it kind of opened up in 2021 as well. So everybody, multi-generational gatherings, and then that's when we saw it. <clears throat> increase in adults. So that's kind of the reason behind it. So what does RSV look like? 
It mimics a lot of other viruses with the fever, with the cough, with the sore throat, with the congestion. But what's a little bit different with RSV is the shortness of breath that can occur and also wheezing. Wheezing is huge with RSV because what does it attack? It attacks the bronchi, which are the small air sacs in the lungs. So once, once those get inflamed, that's when you're going to get your shortness of breath and you're going to get your wheezing. So if you ever have those symptoms when you've had what appears to be a cold, that's when you need to seek medical attention, whether it's dispatch health, whether it's your own physician, whether it's urgent care. Um, so you really need a chest x-ray to see what's going on. Are there but, hospitalizations? Do you have to go to the hospital quite often? Well, sometimes, not quite often. Sometimes what happens, of course, as we age, our immune system isn't what it used to be. We have a lot of what they call comorbidities. You have other health issues, a lot of COPD, a lot of asthma, a lot of um, CHF, which is congestive heart failure. So those kind of things make RSV more dangerous to that population. But usually, nine times out of 10, it's just like a cold. You treat it just like you do any other virus. Plenty of fluids, plenty of rest, and Tylenol, ibuprofen, whatever you take for pain or fever, and you can you usually recover. But again, those warning signs, any breathing issues, wheezing, and congestion, shortness of breath. And it's always drinking water, water, water. Yes, yes. All the time. All the time. You're right. Do you None of us drink that? enough water, but if you get any kind of virus, water is your friend. If you get a virus that you don't, you lose your appetite. That's fine. Food is not as important as your fluid intake, always. Would you recommend a mask for that at that time, or is that necessary? Yeah, so with RSV, the contagious part is after exposure, if you're with grandkids or whatever and you're exposed, usually the, the incubation period is about four to six days-ish. Mm -hmm. So then um, the contagious part, if you have a fever, Yes, you want to stay in your apartment so you don't share the wealth. And usually you're contagious from anywhere from three to seven days. Because, uh, you know, RSV can last a couple of weeks. Ooh. It's not a quick virus. So that's kind of, you can, the difference, common cold, usually you feel better after three or four days. You know, you, you feel good mm -hmm. again. But if you come down with any respiratory, coughing, fever, chills, you want to stay in your apartment. And then even when you come out to protect the community is to, to wear a mask until you're kind of over the hump. And this shot is relatively new, so we don't know if we would need a booster or the length of... Correct. So right now, the RSV vaccine came, up, came out in about April. They started administering it. And so far, um, I have not heard of any side effects other than, you know, the usual sore arm, that kind of thing. Uh, so what they're saying right now, the RSV vaccine is one and done. 
Oh. You know, but we know what viruses do. They mm -hmm. mutate. <laughs> Different so um, right now they're saying one and done, but we'll see as time goes on what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And Sandy, I know you have been involved uh, as a hospice volunteer. You have some thoughts and some ideas and questions for Heidi. Uh, I'm also wondering what what is the procedure for involving hospice? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, so that it can be kind of tricky uh, because number one, you have to have a hospice-appropriate diagnosis. So, what does that look like? Usually, a terminal diagnosis of of a cancer. Um, if you get a diagnosis of congestive heart failure, you could live for years and be quite stable with congestive heart failure. But all of a sudden, um, you know, the number one reason is I hear I don't want to go to the hospital anymore. You know, you go to the hospital because with congestive heart failure, you know, the fluid retention, it starts in your legs, can go to your lungs, so that kind of thing. You can go to the hospital. They'll give you IV diuretics to get rid of the fluid, but it doesn't last. It, it lasts, you know, maybe a week or two, and you're, you're right back to that stage. So residents, families, they will call me and say, you know what, mom doesn't want to go back to the hospital anymore. She's lived a good life, and she would like hospice to come in and just do comfort measures for the rest of her life. And it's so nice to be home. In right. your, in There's your own no place like home. In your right. own bed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So then, um, you know, we have hospices that we work with, but ultimately it's up to the resident if they know of a hospice they want to work with. Um, so I work with the resident, work with the family. We've got to get that order from the primary care physician that says hospice eval and treat. That way we can bring in a hospice nurse. She comes in the beginning, you know, if you're stable, doing well, once a week just to, uh, just to observe and, and, you know, watch the journey. Uh, you can have a CNA come in and help you with showering, uh, uh, things like that. Um, but the physician makes the actual decision. Um, usually they don't, they, they have followed the resident pretty close as sure, a patient. Sure. And so they know the journey that they're on. Right. So usually when I call to say, so-and-so wants uh, to go on hospice, wants comfort care. Can you send me the order? That's where it starts. And then I send the order to whatever hospice uh, the resident wants to use. And then there's a team effort. Yes, the whole team. There's, the, And you don't have to have all of the disciplines come in, but there's a nurse, there's a CNA, there's a social worker, and, of course, a chaplain. And you can have all of them come in at different times for support, or you just, a lot of people just say, you know what, I want the nurse and I want the CNA. Sure. I get my spiritual support, whether it's at Holly Creek or um, I'm, not, I'm not spiritual. I don't want the chaplain. I don't need a social worker because they have me. I'm, you know, I can... Mm -hmm. uh, troubleshoot anything that um, sure. is going on. So I have always enjoyed being a hospice volunteer here at Holly yes, Creek. Yes, yes. Many times I've mm -hmm. had friends come and they can 
go out for lunch or go to the botanic gardens and sure. I can stay with her husband right. or wife uh-huh. while they go do something right to visit with her right uh, it's resident. so important it so important yeah. to that especially if it's a couple and one uh, the spouse is on hospice it's hard to become the caregiver uh. Uh, I think it's the hardest job in the world to be a caregiver. It's the hardest job in the world. It's very, very difficult. It changes the whole dynamic. It does. So stressful. Mm -hmm. Well, in selecting a hospice to start with, if you know nothing about it, what what would you ask when you go to visit or call? Uh So... um, the so when when the subject of hospice or the request comes up i always talk to the resident and the family to say have you worked with a hospice in the past do you want to use that hospice or i can give you names of a couple of different hospices that we at holly creek have had good results with Mm -hmm. and i invite you to call them uh do an interview over the phone okay and then they will set up a time to come in and meet with the resident and family, and you can make the choice at that time. And if uh, they have a chaplain, could you use our own chaplain, Jim, here? Oh, of course you can, yes. you. And that's what a lot of people say. You know what? We have chaplain Jim here at Holly Creek, so I don't feel it necessary at this time for a chaplain to visit. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people would feel very comforted knowing that. Sure, of course. Well, Heidi, um, we know you've had some special training to get to this point in your life. Where did you first discover? How did you discover working with us? Oh, old, sure. Old people. Oh, I love this story. Yes. Yeah, so um, many of you know I, I grew up in Minnesota. And I went to school in Rochester, Minnesota, actually uh, affiliated with the Mayo Clinic. And my own mom worked at the Mayo Clinic for 32 years before retiring. And way back then, I thought she was a nurse because she always wore the white uniform and the white shoes and the white stockings, even. And I always thought, I want to be a nurse like my mom. Well, my mom worked in special hematology, but it was close enough to a nurse for me. So I, I went to school, and actually, I had family that lived in Colorado. So I came out here every year. Um, and I just fell in love with Colorado. So after I finished my nurse's training, I actually moved to Colorado and took the state boards here in Colorado. So, you know, when you're first a nurse, you, you work all different uh, places until you find your niche. So I worked, um, I worked labor and delivery, and then I worked cardiology. So speaking of cardiology, many of you probably remember Dolly Tobin. I worked for Dolly Tobin's husband in cardiology at the Denver Clinic. So uh, most of our patients at the Denver Clinic in cardiology were seniors. And that's where I fell in love with working with the senior population. That it was just so interesting. They were walking history books. I learned so much from the seniors. So the rest is history. I have worked in senior care every since. So that was my last 35 years in nursing. Oh, that's wonderful. With seniors, and I love it. 
Well, so lucky to have you here. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. We have lots of seniors. Oh, yes, I love it. It is my niche. Mm-hmm. It is my niche. And Dolly, wouldn't yeah. you be happy to hear this, that you have contributed by your husband by bringing Heidi to us. Yep. Yes. I had no idea that you worked for him and how that must have felt. That That's wonderful. Yes. But now you have another hat. Maybe it's a bonnet or a gardening hat that you do with grandchildren. Oh, yes. So I have three children. Actually, I have a son and two daughters. And only one of my children wanted children, thank goodness. So um, my middle daughter um, had three children, blessed me with a granddaughter who is three, and two grandsons that are uh, six and seven and a half. So I have taught them the gardening skills that I love. You know, you um, I grew up on a small farm, actually, right outside of Rochester, and you can take the girl off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the girl. Um, so I am teaching them how to garden, and we had wonderful tomatoes and green beans and cucumbers, and just they just love it. Mm-hmm. They just love it, and I love spending time with them, and they are my pride and joy, as, well, as somebody knows. You're a wonderful grandmother. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that is a wonderful hat. Well, what happened like when it wear. came time to clean up the garden? Oh, yes. So uh, last weekend, it was time to clean up the garden and pull everything out. So I rounded them up and told them to go get their gloves and go get big bags. We were going to pull everything up from the garden. So (laughs) I thought that was okay, but they had more fun. Uh, grabbing the green tomatoes and smashing them all over Um, so but it was it was very it was very fun and so we put the garden to bed for the winter so that's kind of a sad point of life but it's the it shows them what happens to a seed in the spring yes Uh, are they good vegetable eaters they are they, they love all the vegetables. Um, they don't the, the baby started with avocados, remember? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It wasn't just rice cereal for her. She, yeah, yeah. She's, she they had avocados. Are, what's that? <laughs> she had avocados. Oh, yeah. They, they started out on avocados. That was their first, uh, one of their first things to eat, for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, they, they love vegetables. They oh, really that's do. good news. Mm-hmm. Now, just coming back to Holly Creek for a minute, I think many of the things you talked about would require or appreciate volunteers from residents. Yes. Some of the things that uh, they can do, I was thinking at your field trip today, are there volunteers that are going along to, uh, with the Connections group? Yes, we have, um, uh, we have three resident volunteers that I can think of right now in our Connections committee, um, and they help with the craft. Um, every other Wednesday, Kathy does a craft. Uh, they assist with that. Um, and actually, our own Nora, uh, mm-hmm. a, a, her mom, volunteers as well with the Connections Committee. Yeah, a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful volunteer. So Becky provides volunteers as well for the Connections Committee. But yes, any resident that would like to volunteer with the Connections Committee group, please let me know or Kathy Racine, we'd love to have you. 
love to have you. And Dave Vitale goes goes on uh, different excursions. Yes, he outside, does. Doesn't he? Yes, yes. We'd what love to have Dave go on the outings with yeah. the Connections Committee as well. Mm-hmm. So they all board the bus. Yes. Get a ride out there. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine getting on and off the bus would require a little extra hand, too, now and then. So Yeah, actually, yeah, we have to be very safe getting off and on the bus because that's that's when some people uh, fall, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very important. Well, you mentioned um, that we need to be cognizant of our own health. Mm-hmm. And uh, not often seeing a doctor would uncover something that you're concerned about. Mm -hmm. So, Sandy, I think you gave uh, Heidi a a beautiful bit of philosophy she's going to read for us. And so this might be a good time to to hear that. Yes, yes. I picked up this philosophy many years ago in a doctor's office, and I have it in my philosophy file. Uh And I thought it was so appropriate for you to read it now. Yes, yes. And I love it because, number one, you do have to own your health care. You really do. You have to sometimes really be an advocate um, for your loved one. You have to be an advocate for yourself. And you you are really responsible for for your health care. Um, so I love this, Sandy, and I'd love to read it. So let's, let's end with this. Nothing that emerges from a clinic or a test tube will contribute nearly so much to better health, generally as a little individual self-care in the form of wiser living. The next major advance in the health of the American people will result only from what the individual is willing to do for himself. And we will end with that. It's been a pleasure being on the radio. Heidi, we can't thank you enough. Okay, thank you so much. And that's Wanderings for today.